Welcome to America. Welcome to the big show. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Dr. Funk live show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and for your support and donating and subscribing, whether it's on YouTube, Facebook Live, Apple Music, Spotify, everything else. On this episode of the Dr. Funk podcast, I'm sure you guys have heard um, about the primary wave deal. They've already been involved with the Prince Estate, but now they're at a much larger scale. We're going to get into that because I know that a lot of the fans have some concerns and we want to address that. And we're going to be addressing it with myself and another expert, a tremendous expert, Dave Hampton, who is a great friend of the show. And we always appreciate his knowledge and he knows a lot about this. And maybe this can help ease some concerns. What's up, Canada? What's up, Australia? What's up, Germany? Good Lord, that's got to go on. Hello in the U.S., of course, as well. So we're going to get into it. We're going to be taking your questions live. We're also going to take some pre-questions that we asked on Twitter and Instagram and the Facebook fan page. We really want your involvement. We want these concerns to be kind of squashed. And uh, we want people to know about Primary Wave and where they're coming from and what it's about. Now, I'm just going to bring Dave in and we could be giving, we can fill up the entire show of what Dave has been involved with and done. But he is an absolute expert when it comes to the music industry. How Paisley Park is now, he had a huge part in it and it's um, remodeling, so to speak, but he did even more than that. So without further ado, here is a great friend of mine, a great friend of the show. I'm sure you guys consider him the same way, Mr. Dave Hampton. Hey, what's happening, Doc? Hey, Dave. Good to see you, my friend. Hey, good to be seen, brother. Exactly. So here it is. We've known that Primary Wave has been involved for a few years now. And the reason I, I want to bring you on is not only for your expertise, but from the beginning, you were saying that primary wave being involved isn't such a bad thing. Right. Now, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't think so because uh, I'm familiar with them for several years because I, I've worked with other legacy acts that they are a part of and they bought into their catalogs and their, their, um, their, uh, archives or whatever it is, their, their music and, and, and all the above. And uh, they're a legitimate company. They're real cool people. And they, they've got a, a method and they're not taking this. This is a, um, just as much for the legendary music that's been authored around the world as it is for the independent artists and songwriters who benefit from it. But some well-known people who are, are still with us as well as some well-known people from the past who have passed on are all a part of the primary wave family. And so this activity has been going on before Prince, uh, Prince's passing. And, you know, I don't want anybody to think like, oh, this is just a new thing and these people are doing this. It's, uh, it's easy in the, in the chronology of things that happens around Prince for people to get on the mic and vilify them and say, oh, here's another doing this. So they bought up, you know, let's be, let's be very real when we look at the asset conversation and Prince and all that stuff. 
that just given the family and their lack of experience in certain matters, it right. was inevitable that this might happen. But it is good that Primary Wave is the company that's carrying on the conversation because at least they're not going to lessen it, cheapen the exercise. Because the exercise is not about eliminating his music, nor is it about controlling his music or telling any other story other than that that of preservation and, and keeping his music and, and, and songs going. And so I, I just think they, they do it in a very respectful way and they, they honor the, the catalog that they purchased. They, you know, they, they take it seriously. So, um, you know, and I, I don't work for them. I just, you know, you can look at their roster and there's several of my clients on their roster, deceased and uh, still going. So it's, you know, it's just one of those things. It's a function of business. Over the last, I'd say, eight to 10 years, behind the scenes in music, finances in and around music and catalogs has changed extremely. And I'm not just talking about streaming rights and all these other things. I'm talking about the ballistics of how you make money with a catalog. And if you don't think so, you look at the realities of some of the biggest names artists selling their catalogs, right? And they're selling their catalogs while they're still alive. Now, a lot of them are older now. They're not really producing as much, but they're looking at the facts of what it is to take money now and be able to do some other things versus just sitting on this asset. Before there was streaming and all these other digital routes your music could take, it was just hold on to your catalog. That was what most writers and artists were told. Well, exactly. the finance in and around and the payoff associated with having a music career, a successful music career and a successful catalog is, is very different now. It's really as busy as you can make. So I think it's, sure. it's an excellent time. It's an excellent opportunity for things to recast. We're about five years down the line in the Prince story, you know, and I think it's important that people realize with Primary Wave owning what they own, they got 100% of one, one relative, they got 100% of the other, and 90% of Taika. Um, that, that is a significant amount that is, is owned by one faction, and they, they deserve a seat at the table. It doesn't lessen them anymore that they're not a family member. They just now have those positions. You know, so don't let all the as as we go around the corner, you're going to see people release certain statements and press things. Don't get all excited about that. Just just look up primary wave music, do your research, and I think you'll see that it's in good hands. You know that that yeah. it's better for it to to be on a direction like this with somebody who's actively doing things with great music than to be on this wait em out witch hunt that everybody else is trying to play where, where even if we wait until Comerica doesn't have control anymore, let's say, um, we don't know who's going to be carrying out what responsible decision-making, but we know it's not going to be organized because it's been five years and it's taken this long for some things to settle in, you know? So Definitely. we have to go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. We have to look at the, as we look at the Prince situation and we're five years down the line, we have to look at all the stories we have heard by this time. And we've heard several, and, and I'll go back to our, our early calls, Doc, 
where you know we were looking at people making statements about the worth of his of his holdings, the worth of Paisley Park, the value of his music, yeah. and they were all just guessing and putting numbers out, partially to be strategic and partially to try and set up to acquire. So, you know, in the end of the thing, we're five years down the road, nobody's acquired, we're releasing music, everything on that side is trying to settle out. And and then we've got some people who have decided to to do a deal with Primary Wave. And that that's that's just life moving on. You know. Right. It doesn't that mean works. that Primary Wave is gonna control everything. It just means they saw an opportunity to invest and get a long term position and now they've got a strategic advantage. And and time went out, they'll probably do more and whoever hangs on to it will probably have a say and they'll be sitting at a table with them. And I think it's all for the betterment of of for his sure. catalog and what's going on. And and believe it or not, uh, the fans community we still have a lot of pull on what happens with his catalog. You know, I think right. that's obvious by the way that they're telling the story and they they tailor make things down. They're just now learning how to talk to us as a community. And we're gonna you know do our own research with everyone tonight as well. The questions will get harder, but here's one. And we know mm -hmm. this one's easy because it's just for shares. Um, this is from YouTube. What mm -hmm. is the reason for their involvement? What is the reason for their involvement? Well, they're involved in, in um, you know, let, let's take it right from their thing. They're the home of legends, of legendary music, legendary performers. And, and, and you know, you merely just need to look at it. Bob Marley, Stevie Nicks, Frankie Valley, Smokey Robinson, Whitney Houston, Burt Bacharach, Olivia Newton-John, Ray Charles, <laughs> Aerosmith, Def Leppard. Well, I could go on and on, but all these factions, both living and dead, have found a way to settle in and do business with Primary Wave. So you, it has to be considered for what they're offering up as an extension to the legacy and, and great music makers of the past and, and of the present. You know, you've got some some people from the present in there too. You know, CeeLo Green is signed here. You know, you got everybody, everybody across the board. Donny Hathaway, you know, and and it, so it goes across all genres of music. And and so that's what I'm saying. You just can't shut the door and say, oh, you know, why are they doing this? It, they're doing it because music is a money making expedition. At the end of the day. Western soul music, the, the, the American soul music story is a large export of this country. Makes a lot of money and has a lot of influence. And Prince is part of that story, just like several other artists I've named. So it, it behooves them as a cash crop to invest in it, but invest in it in a new way. Because this, this goes across, you got to realize when they invest in these these holdings, they're investing in the, in the music and the stake of, of it. They can direct it to film, TV, and other active platforms that they're involved with, too. So that creates new money. It's, right. it's all about creating new money with old, old uh, assets. And not only with the old assets, because I was doing looking at some of the songwriting that they've, they've purchased over the past couple of years. There have been yeah. some heavyweights that a lot of people don't know that, like, Rihanna's like her first few albums. They wrote a bunch of the songs. Lady Gaga's songwriters. They're getting more than just 
the legend acts now and yeah. they're going across the board and it's just some interesting stuff just like say mark morrison's return of the mac which was a yeah. huge in the 90s it was used in a commercial i i, I want to say for uber eats but it was one of the delivery companies and they use that beat then they do this then with the stevie nicks hundred million dollar deal and we always feel sometimes when stuff goes viral that it really is viral it isn't planned Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's just like right before the Mark Morrison thing. And now with the Stevie Nicks thing where that TikTok went viral with uh, Homeboy in the Ocean Spray. Just saying that these things were, whether, whether it is, whether they lucked into it, that all these things happen at once and it helps out the situation. You got to play, play into it and look what they're doing. And this is about what we need him, what we want. We want his music to be in more movies. We want yeah. more commercialization without putting let's go crazy in a credit card commercial. You right. know, and I feel they'll help facilitate that. If people yeah. look for it, it isn't such a bad thing. What do you think of that before we get into the Whitney Houston stuff that people no, are going to be worried about? You're dead on the money. You know, the credit card commercial is playing to the cheap seats. You know, that's, that's just... Um, an opportunity that came and they took it and it represents what it represented, but it's, it's a throwaway because once that does it, you've shot that wad. And then the next time that comes along, if you wanted to use it for something really, really original and long standing, you, you've already worn it out on a one shot, like a credit card, not saying that it wasn't good, but it's, it's come and gone. Okay. So however much they paid for it, made from it, uh, you know, I hope it was significant enough to do, take a chunk out of what was needed. But I think in the long term, it's about the long money plays that great music can set up. And, you know, great music is great music is here for a long time. And if you use it properly, you can you can create a good financial bid for a, a lot of things to happen, you know, because. Right now, everything is about mixed media, multimedia, and, and while images drive everything, music is still very powerful when you put it to the images. Right. So I was putting that on the screen. Just someone just saying primary wave is in the business of making money. They will do right by Prince because it's in their best interest financially yes. to do so. Yes. For the for people that are going to be listening to this instead of watching it. Go ahead. Yeah. I think that's a very that's a very true statement at the at the at the end of the day it is about money making and they don't they don't do that to sit on an asset or they don't do it also to try and positionally tell only one part of the story you know the big contention is with some of the things going on now the, the books and the, the chronology of the music and everything there that um, the assets are being cherry-picked and we're only hearing one side of the story you, you get all these different feedbacks from different uh, groups and different people and it's very true um, you know a lot of the people developing the dialogue now around his music uh, you know if he were alive they they wouldn't be in that position they are not the type of people that he would work with I don't care what they say in interviews or whatever but you know it's it's just a known fact so you know right now we deal with a lot of things where the music and the storyline and the, the whole thematic thing is, is on an undertaking where it's just being set up position. Let's see if they go for it. And, you know, 
um, you know, you can listen to the albums and everybody can say what they want to, but all the albums and all the projects need to be marked AD because it's after his death. And so after his death takes on a different nature, you have to go, okay, this is something that is not his stamp. This is something that somebody else is saying. And that's just a reality. That's not a put down or anything. That's just a reality. That way we don't get confused because what happens is if you don't say that, then everybody will go around quoting and then starting to have dialogue and, and discussing Prince in their way. And that's not really the truth, right? So then what we're doing is we're authoring two separate stories. And because no one questions it, we've got, we've got to take it as fact now? No, I don't think so. You know, That's why a lot of us who were close and around him, we sit back and we watch the landscape of what's happening and what's going on. You know, Prince would be more concerned if he were here. He'd be more concerned about new music and the things that are happening and and what 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 new is happening. It would not be about old things, and that's that's right. what you ask out any of us. We'll tell you that it's great that the albums come out. It's great that more than other people have had an opportunity to work. I I don't take that away from anybody, but the reality is that that um, those projects are where they were when we rise them and pull them from a shelf on the vault and they're put out there, it's, it's with someone else's spin on it. You know, correct. We have April from Facebook before we start getting into research, but we're already dropping knowledge a little bit. April yeah. um, is advising primary wave is geared towards artist music catalog, but how does that, how does their involvement with running Paisley park, uh, what's their involvement going to be on I keeping it open? That's where everybody doesn't realize that their their involvement is is not there yet. That's not that's not a a place where they're at just yet. Right, right now, they're where they are according to the deals that they cut with those extended family members. You must remember those family members weren't even in a position where they were dealing with anything. Right? They were dealing with being a family member and eventually having rights to something that is still being quote unquote figured out. So their play was to take money now or wait till they figure it out. Quote unquote. Um, so yeah, they don't, they, eventually if they, if they get any more, uh, uh holdings and they, they get any more interest in it. Yeah. They probably will have a seat at that table as well. And they probably will have some input. And I can't, I can't say that would be bad either. Because everything they do is about promoting the goods that they have. And it's not to resell it. It's just to, to, ha to have a lock on some great music. You look at the catalog that they've assessed overall as a company. That's huge hits in that catalog. I'm, I'm talking to, aside from Prince, there's a lot of hits there. So you have to look at that and go, okay, they're in this for the long haul. They're in this to, to make money because they see the value of great music. You know, the music that we're getting right now from new artists is the music that's being put on us now because it's also economically feasible for new artists to have a successful career because old music is not marketed that well in, in many cases. But now when you have somebody like Primary Wave who has access to it, you now have the ability to market it successfully. Great songs and great movies, great songs and great commercials. 
<clears throat> great songs in, in, in virtually anything that, that they has an opportunity to do. So it's about widening the perspective of the, of the destination of your already written songs, you know. For sure. And then when you're looking at some of the songs that they own, where they just own certain things, a lot yeah. of them are featured in a lot of movies where the song is like when someone's making a movie, it's like, oh, we got to have this song. They own yeah. the rights to that song. So it's going to be played in there. Not only with them purchasing the entire catalog of Sun Records, which brings them a lot of stuff from back in the day, but is, yeah. as I said, more current stuff as well. And Don had this uh, question from YouTube, and I'm going to have you go on top of what you're going to say. I think that some of the concern is there is fear his legacy will somehow be lost if anyone is making decisions aside from the estate, although Primary Wave will be part of that decision-making. But that's what plays into choosing the right songs for movies and stuff like that. But go ahead. Yeah, I think I think that that's where we're putting a little bit. I'm trying to I'm trying to be as politically nice as I can be, but I'm I'm just going to go ahead and do what I do. Please, um, you you have to look at what's going on now. So because you see somebody who's told oh this is our expert this is our this this is our that that doesn't mean shit that doesn't mean anything that just is a person who has the opportunity to sit there and by industry standards it says this is the person we're going to rely on now whether or not that person is doing a good job for whatever reason is up to the history that they create with what they're given the opportunity to make decisions over but right. in the long run their decision making will be put up against the actual truth about his life, his music, and his career. In the end, any movie that's made is put up against the actual happenings of his life, his music, and his career. And so what we have right now is, is still a lot of people positioning around activity, trying to get paid. If we were to, if we were to create a circle of people all holding hands and seeing kumbaya around prince's casket none of them would be people from his past not not there wouldn't be too many in there there would be new current faces and they're and they're all make a check and they all make money off of off of being in orbit around the the uh aftermath of his passing and so i say it that realistic so you understand that this is a long journey when you when you're in the entertainment lane and you're in digital asset management and you're looking at this thing long term you're talking about legacies and things like that this is a long game and so you have to be ready for changing faces and people who are only in there you remember all the people that were in there uh the first two years i'll give it two years after his death you remember all the people we, we had we had conversations about some of them where are they now? Where are they? There ain't none of them around. If they are around, they're hiding, skulking around in the dark, or they're hiding in the corner. And 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 so that that whole season, we've been through several seasons now. We're five years removed. We're five years removed. So we have to really look at this as far as who's making some tactical decisions. This company is in a position to make some great tactical decisions. If they're sitting at the table. They're going to make some even greater tactical decisions. Why? Because they hold a, a lion's share of the interest of some of this music, and that and that's that goes without saying. You don't sit there and occupy seats to make dumbass decisions. You just don't do it. 
tactical is the key word for sure. Tact keyword. <laughs> yeah. Brian, Brian has a question from Facebook. And of course, like I said, we're just getting the questions out of the yeah. way. So we, can, we know the knowledge. The main thing is, is letting them know and to be reassured of everything. Now mm -hmm. that primary wave, this is from Brian. Now that primary wave has almost majority, how will that impact former associates being involved? For example, Susan Rogers involvement in the future parade deluxe, would she be involved? My easy answer would be yes, she would be. But Dave, the floor is yours. Uh, you know, I, I that that's entirely up to a different set of people. You know, it's like I said, I've I've watched this this story develop since his passing. And, you know, when it's all said and done, everybody will understand all the conversations that took place out in the open and all the conversations that took place behind the scenes and who really did what and why things are in certain places and what's going on. So you have, you know, all, all this, you know, who's who, who should be there. I, I have always felt that many of us especially when it comes to the recording engineers we're still alive from the various periods of time of the records so i think the natural thing the uh, authentic thing would be to have as many of those voices of people who were in the studio during the period of time that's in question when you're doing archiving and when you're doing legacy work like that it's important that you have input from people who were relevant there's no other relevant person other than the people who are responsible for capturing the music susan right. is relevant but she is not the highest point on the number line susan is relevant for the years especially that she occupied the chair you know uh just just like the 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 everybody before her and everybody after her is relevant for those years that they spent and carrying on that responsibility for him. Um, it doesn't mean that, they, you know, you just take what they say as gospel, but it means that you do enough research where you're not just talking to one engineer at the forefront of his career about eventualities that happened when they hadn't even been there in some 15, 20 years. Right? Sure. Yes. So, so, so it's just, I, I, I'm waiting to see how truthful and, and honest everybody is about spreading it out across the board and showing how he interacted with different people to produce his work. Because regardless of the fact that you were working for him, it's a shared experience of responsibility. You're carrying it out. I mean, when, we, when we did the records we did, it was, it was me listening to the previous material, trying to come up with a sonic space that we could match and do it justice. So when somebody looked at the years that we covered from 2003 to 2010, they, they won't go, well, who the fuck was recording the music during this period? Because it sure sucked, you know? <laughs> and so that, as I can tell you, as an engineer, that's what you're trying to do when you're a part of somebody's career for any given period of time. You actually are concerned about the historical record that you're leaving behind. Right. So that's where our focus was and that's where i think that the storytellers when they when they involve themselves in a technical journey they need to be a little bit more intact about their conversations and they need to have it all look you know you could sit all of us in a room and we would be able to talk all day long about our experiences and we've done this privately 
with Prince in the studio and just do it. And we can see each other's mark on, on him. You know, we can see the effect that each of us has had during the periods of time we served. So it's a very, it's a very dynamic experience when you look at it like that. I just, I just think that, um, in the storytelling of it, a lot of times people rush around and they forget to have that conversation because they're so excited about being able to touch and have access to and be or in orbit around Prince's music. For sure. Another thing someone just brought up and we're just, I'm just want to recognize it and move on from it is, um, Solange on Facebook says they wanted to know when was get off authorized and coming to America. That was, of course, over the past year, but that was during filming, probably in 2019 and um, 2020. But I'm glad it was used in the movie. Don't get mm -hmm. me wrong. What I want is, is there to be most of the people that watched Coming to America, they already are familiar with it. We want to get the people not familiar with it. We want to introduce them to a new audience. And I feel that primary yeah. wave will be a really good example of that. So. It's like, I'm kind of doing what Prince would do, where, where questions being asked and not kind of answering it, I gave my own little thing, but turning into something else, because I feel, especially seeing the acquisitions that they made over the past two years, that they would be the best ones to do that, to be able to introduce them to a new audience. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think Primary Wave is the, that that's the reason why a lot of that happens. And I, I think, you know, Coming to America that, you know, uh, it, it, you know, the, the, all those things, all those projects, again, they, they, they are what they are. They, they yeah. can, they happen in time. That one, while yeah. it's good that it's out and it's, it's can be referenced. I'm, I'm just always conservative about my outlook on whether or not it should have been pulled and placed in, in orbit. Right. Yes, it's necessary to play his music. Yes, it's necessary to pull stuff from the vault, but let's not get ahead of ourselves and get too far out there with the story. Because, because he was not that loose with his music. And what I want is to find that new audience and introduce him to a new audience without someone like Harry Styles or The Weeknd doing a Prince cover. Thank I want you. his music that does yeah. it because, look, there's so many songs from the Prince catalog that still sound so fresh today. That's why you can put out an album like Welcome yeah. to America. And it, it gets these feelings, everyone stirred up because it's still current and not dated but you can say the same thing about a lot of songs from the purple rain soundtrack you know yeah i think i think i think there are aspects to that album the uh, uh welcome to america that that are extremely educational mm -hmm. when you when you look at his writing style and how he used the syntax of songs and the the, the stage of songs to make statements right, and tell stories. And so I think there's always something, a deeper cut that songwriters can appreciate that is extremely educational. If there's anything I'd want to pass on after being in the studio with him, mm -hmm. 
um, if there's anything I think that would be important to pass on in his music, it would be his ability to just mix storytelling with powerful music, you know, because really, it, it, again, there's only 12 notes, but he really worked the hell out of them 12. <laughs> and, right. and, and, and lyrically, he had his own way of, of saying things tongue in cheek or whatever you want to call it that he didn't, he didn't stop. He just always kept refining and refining. And if he wanted to make a point and he wanted to get geopolitical, he could get geopolitical. If he wanted to touch your heart, he could touch your heart, but it was very clever how he mixed just enough music with just enough clever lyric. And it, it, and so I think there's so much to teach and pass on to the new songwriters coming around the corner. And it's just one style. It's just examining his style and seeing how he used his gift. Not that they have to do it like him, but it's important that you show people the trail to making great music. For sure. And I want to make sure that we're not just taking positive things or whatever. Here's Glenn, but this plays in the whole AD thing that you were saying. Glenn is saying it will never be the same without him. He was his best marketing. Prince without Prince is not as powerful. Sorry, not sorry. But again, the, it's AD now. Things are different and we're going to have to do that without him because we want the legacy to continue. We're not just going to go, oh, you know, he's no longer here. Let's just let the legacy go to crap. Let's let Paisley Park close down. We can't yeah. do I know that's not exactly what Glenn is saying, but we need no. to go through this to... Yeah understand that we have to handle thing do things differently because he's no longer here and i welcome that challenge to be honest yeah i think it's it's refreshing because the thing is that's why i always say you know we were there and if we're still around and still alive part of our responsibility is to be on the lookout for the next people who are as gifted and pass along whatever help we can in the way of not just Prince help, just in the way of, you know, when you're exposed to somebody like this, it's like every, every one of my other clients, I have to ask myself, what did I learn from my time here, right? I spent 12 years with Herbie. What did I learn with 12 years with Herbie Hancock? What did I learn with four years with Babyface? What did I learn with, you name the artist, I can, I can tell you how long I was with him. I can tell you everything I learned about music and everything I learned away from music. And, and there's so much that these complex creative individuals are about that really is key that you have to sit down and, and really analyze the, the time spent with them so you can understand what's important. If you're still here, part of your responsibility, at least part of my responsibility, is to find the next group and point out the ones that have the promise and have the potential. <clears throat> I'm not saying they're going to be Prince. I'm saying that I've seen enough talented, creative people in this lane to be able to walk into a room, listen to some things, and I can pretty much tell you who's focused and who's full of shit. And, and, and that's real. And so you have to really, you know, curate that. You have to massage it. It's, you know, we, we, whatever it is, we've got to find the next group of people like this and make sure that they get there quicker 
and that some of the ways in which he went left, they, we can help them go right. And that's not just for him. That's for every one of these artists. For every one of these artists, let's look at the, just the primary wave artists. For every one of the primary wave artists who have been able to construct a payday, whether they're living or dead, they they made some boo-boos in their career that that you know might never have made them money, and they might never have gotten out of it. So, you know, you got to think when you're looking at these artists, and this is quite a roster. When you you look at primary wave, you it's you're impressive. gonna it's very impressive, man, because because this is the story of music. This is the story of music. This is what writing great songs can do. And and I think there is still is magic in songwriting. There still is magic in music away from the video image, you know, because these these are also artists. You know, and I want to get into because, you know, they don't own everything. And we're going to get into the other aspect of the other people involved. For sure. We're not going to go away from that. Yeah. Mike is up about primary wave needs to fight the Italian court for the gold experience release. He's referring to the most beautiful girl in the world being tied up in Italian courts. That's something that the estate has been doing. I'm sure that is going to be something that primary wave is going to continue if that has not been resolved because the gold experience, of course, that was one of Sony's first things that they wanted to put out was yeah. the gold experience. And I'm sure that they'd like to do a deluxe edition on that because there's so many, so much 90s material from that era that didn't make it on the album or had different variations of it. But for sure, right. that's something that they want to handle. Well, I know the most beautiful girl in the world out here, when it came out, that was a, a deal that they cut with Al Bell and Belmark. <clears throat> yep. And but, so... But the version though, that's on the beautiful girl, they can't put out, sorry to interrupt, yeah. Because even though it was Belmark, he, they did put a Warner Brothers version. But since it all, it is on the Gold Experience, if we yeah. put that album out without it, I mean, obviously not the remixes that are on Belmark and without Bell. Yeah. But they put it out without on there. It kind of takes something away from the beautiful experience and the most beautiful girl in the world and the Gold Experience or the Gold Era, so to speak. Mm. But I'm hopeful that'll do it. But yes, 100%. Warner's allowed him to put that single out on that, but I guess maybe it would have been in hindsight for him not to try to include it with the gold experience. Well, right? I th think I think part of the thing there twofold, and and I'd have to um, put you in contact with uh, uh, actually the guy who I brought in with me to work at Paisley, Kalik Lover, was actually at Belmark, and he handled the most beautiful girl in the world when it came in. And prepared it for release, and so um, I I think that that deal was cut specifically, and and I'm just gonna just gonna generalize and just say I think it was cut so that he could see what route it would take if he did a deal with somebody like Al Bell, a traditional black record guy, right? Mm, and, what? and and well, no, I just I just think I think it was an excellent experiment whatever it was which is why when it doesn't appear on that album okay and you have that contention the other thing is well which came first the single or this and then when you release something as a single and the single goes then sonically you have a fingerprint right right which means any album that comes out unless it's done at the same time it might not have that same fingerprint sonically and so I think that's another reason why why songs don't make 
albums, even though they might have happened certain times, because he reserved the right to do any kind of deal he wanted to do at any time just to try and go against the normal deal-making trends of the record industry that were set up for him to only choose this and only choose this. And I think one of the ways he felt he could get things done or get his his alternative take on how to do business was to set up deals like this where he had a unique song and he said, well, let's take this song on a journey, you know, away from everything else. And I want to control it, you know, and that's the way you do it. That's the way you do it. For know? sure. And we have Rhonda from YouTube. She's asking because uh -huh. we're talking about people sitting at the table. They're like, okay. are the people who worked with Prince sitting at the table? You're not, I'm not, but there not. are some people, you know, yeah. but you can touch I mean, base on that. I, I, what that what is first of all what do we what are, let's let's narrow down what do we mean when we use the term sitting at the table you mean part of the decision making process currently right now that's how I take it yes right now but yeah. maybe in the future that can change yeah. I mean in the future that all can change in the right. future it's always been opened up but none of us have turned down an opportunity to be at the table it's just we look at who's at the table who's setting the table, and what does the table look like? And the only reason why we do that is because we spend enough time around Prince to understand what we should be looking out for when it comes to something dressed as business, right? Right. So if it's not dressed as business, chances are I ain't going to fuck with it. If I, if I don't control at least me and how much of me I could give and, and what's going on. And, and, and if there's no uh, type of conversation about remuneration or any kind of thing like that, chances are it's going to be a very short conversation. Why? Because for me, my relationship started with a phone call from Prince asking me how much it would charge to, to come talk with him. So if in life he can ask me that, in his passing, anybody who calls me to talk to me about Prince you, you got to come the same way, not because of, of me being greedy or anything like that. It's because I have to stop what I'm doing right now and jump into being in a mindset to just only deal with Prince stuff right. and that's only calling memory. And that's and that to me, I don't make anything off of that. And I'd love to do it all the time, but I have to be realistic about it. I'm still uh, at 60. I'm still working. And blessed to have clients, so I have to be, keep moving it forward. I think the other thing is that you can't be around somebody like him and not learn your value. Sure. You and and this is for all of us, man. You too, and I talk to you about this all the time. You have to learn your value. You have to understand that you have value, and and you can't mess with somebody like him without understanding you and knowing your your value. And if you didn't know your value coming in. And you were able to last a long time. You damn sure you sure know your value coming out of it. Yep. And that that value isn't determined by whether or not I'm at a table with a bunch of people who wouldn't get hired when they were when he was alive. I mean, yeah, that's why none of us worry about it because because it's the table is suspect. The whole fucking room is suspect because that you know unless they're really gonna be honest about working from a true direction that is headed somewhere and they're making decisions and they're being inclusive. And I'll say that one word 
they have to be inclusive. And when it's not inclusive, it just it doesn't look right, doesn't feel right, and it doesn't sell right. You can be as sincere as you want. You can put everybody on the thank yous and 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 just name everybody you can, just trying to get everybody to love you. But the bottom line is, in life, he wouldn't have fucked with you. Hmm. Period. So right. you have to try to address that, and you have to really come from a sincere place. And I think the table um, is is something that's it's overrated right now. You know, it, it, they they call on certain people because they consider them experts in this and that or they're cool people to have or they got clout or they you know and it's a it's a bunch of different folks and and that's great but you know that that also is how those people exist you know they exist by doing that if they would existed by being around him they would have been around him and performing services and and fulfilling unmet needs right but it's a very it's a very tough seat to be in to to be dedicated to working with somebody like him and then afterward um think that you're going to be remembered if if not even acknowledged you know so none of us really look for proper acknowledgement because we already can look and see that the group that's in there is about trying to establish their truth when we come with our accuracy, it fucks with their truth. So it, it's, it's, you know, you got to understand that's, that's part of the game too. And well, so it's rough as it, as it is for me to say that, that's the, the way I have to, to tell you that, that you have right. to place that, you know, when you come in with the truth, it's, it's a long road, it's a long road, but I've been on this road and I was on this road five years ago when it started with you having these conversations <laughs> frustrating conversations but yeah very frustrating very frustrating i used to tell yeah. you all the time man don't don't lose sight don't for one minute forget you were somebody that he talked to in the middle of the night i used to come in the studio and he would be in his little office on his computer with you uh, talking to you on the phone at the same time he was telling the press he couldn't stand computers right <laughs> so so you know, so I, I I understood from ground zero how he was playing the game, you know. Yeah. And those conversations <laughs> go for hours. All, all night. Yeah. 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 It was interesting. Now, here's a question. They wanted this asked later, but I want to get it out now just to cover stuff. Would Primary Wave be able to work with archivists slash music historians slash academic institutions or the Library of Congress to preserve and document his musical archive? Well, Library of Congress is a separate organization that has their own archival place in Culpeper. I think it's Culpeper, Virginia. And so Library of Congress already has their things set up. They're kind of like a uh, official version of Iron Mountain where it sits now. Uh, yeah, primary wave could could do that. I think it's part of the process um, for them just to, to gather everything and see what's been done, because now what they have to do is they have to look at the, his works that were originally done. And then you have to look at all the works that were released and the stories that were told after he died. Right. 
and then they have to look at what they're going to author after that. This is no different than a company like Sony Legacy does when they're in charge of something. You know, they, they look at, well, what, what's come out? What do we found? We found something new. Oh, let's do these rehearsal tapes. So, you know, and then they, they, different artists, they release different things or they'll, they'll gather certain songs together and put them out in a, in a special edition. Um, this goes on and on still with other companies as well. Uh, so that's what I imagine would, 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 what would go on with them. But Library of Congress is a separate um, studio facility altogether. And it is there for the preservation of great music as well. You know, so I think I, I don't think there would be anything wrong with them working with Library of Congress. I think some of the moves would be repetitive. And but it would it would no doubt it would no doubt enhance the the experience you know it it would definitely uh, take some of the revenue to 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 do that but I think it would be a smart move right. you know now this question has been asked before but as we've talked about before we have to act like we've never heard it before why not because we're introducing <laughs> it to a new audience which is fine right right and plus it goes to this. Where do you think we would be if Prince had a will? He wasn't a dumb man, but why didn't he make it known what he wanted done with his music? See, we can speculate till the world comes in, but I want to have you try to drop as much knowledge on this as you can. Okay, here's, here's the knowledge I will drop. Um, during my time there, we were bringing up a lot of tapes from the vault, and Prince was very specific. Some tapes he'd bring up, and they would have little bits on them for, from those sections of song. And he would want to use a guitar part off of this, a synth part off of this. And I'll pull that up and, and we would try and get tracks up. Some tapes would play, some wouldn't. And when those tapes were damaged and they would sh do what's called shed, we'd put it on the machine and it would just disintegrate. I'd have to clean the machine, do this. And then I, after two, three times that happened, I said, you know, Prince, there's actually a process that we need to do some of these tapes are damn need to do x y and z and i explained to him the process i i said here's what's normally done i explained to him how we do it and what's happening and what it would take and he said mm, no not right now let's just move on and he would just name something else and we do it so after two two three conversations like that and seeing how he it's not that he didn't value what he had i think where he was coming from is a mindset like this. I did this music. It's all down here. If I pull it up and it comes off and we can reuse it and I'm feeling like it'll fit here. Great. If it doesn't and it didn't make it, then it wasn't never supposed to last. Ever. Right. And I think that's where he was at partially because when I explained things to him, I explained it to him technically and then i explained it to him financially because sure. in the past the thing i had noticed was that a lot of things were not explained to him financially as far as what does that mean how much does it cost for us to do x y and z right right and the reason why i did that is because i was being 100 percent honest that i wasn't trying to just create some additional engineering work what i was asking for was the ability to do this properly but for him to understand in order to salvage an idea he might want to use, I might need to undertake a process that 
costs money and does this. And I'm not I'm not saying he was cheap or anything. I'm just saying when I explained it like that and gave him the choice, the education and the choice, he chose to just now nah, let's just keep moving forward. I'll choose something else or I'll, I'll write something else in there. And so that's that's what I kind of took from it. Now, I, I say all that to say that I really feel that his gift of music and the spontaneity which he could create was so good and so on that he really didn't worry about ever running out of ideas. That's that wasn't one of his worries. Right. Ever. Because yeah. I've seen him just go at it as if he would if he went to sleep he'd lose the the the, the vision tomorrow. So he would just stay up and go at it and go at it. And I'm like, wow, that's, I've seen it in other people. I've never seen it like that. For sure. Never seen it. Like that. So yeah. that, that's, I think he had a, a certain outlook about the music surviving mm -hmm. once you capture it. Cause there was a time also when we ran out of tape and we switched to, to Pro Tools that he would call me in after he finished doing a project and he would say, I'm not going to use any of this, destroy it. Because he knew at that point it was on hard drive. So I was destroying files of takes that he was not going to use in the final result of a project. Right. Because we were no longer on tape and it was no longer committed. It was just in memory. Yeah. See, and that's what we want to understand. Like, they'll talk about, like, he was, he said he was concerned with stuff now. He, and then, but he kept stuff from the past. Yeah, but look, as we talked about before, and they took your advice that you gave on my show about moving the, the contents of the vault to a place like Iron Mountain, because the stuff was eroding. People be yeah. like, oh, he, he, he concentrated in the past. No, he didn't. If Iron Mound didn't come along or stuff wasn't done, a lot of those tapes would have been unsalvageable. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's what people have to understand. Probably still are. They they transferred it over there. But again, you know, that was that was that long ago. And and the thing is, I was working with Iron Mountain before he even passed away. So I was two, three artists into Iron Mountain, and so I already knew what they could do. And when he passed away and I started getting these phone calls, I said, you know what? You guys need to prepare a, a protocol in case this comes in the door. Because this, there, there's an eventuality that is. And I said, if I get interviewed, I'm going to do nothing but point to this place because that's the only logical place that could do. And, and I went so far as to, and I'll tell you this, as to sit down and develop with their team a thumbnail plan for the damage I knew had occurred and what's called remuneration, right? So re remediation, excuse me, remediation. And remediation is the process where you treat something that has been mildewed or that is growing old before you put it on a tape machine and, and eventually have it crumble. You can bake it. You can do other things, acclimatize it and clean off certain aspects of it so that when you put it on the machine, you will be able to play it and re-record it and pass it off to something so that you can salvage it. 
But um, and and so I knew there was damage there. I knew there was other stuff. But you know, we had quite a plan in detail. Should it ever come to that, um, they decided to use Iron Mountain as a storage facility first, and then I think they engaged some of their services later. But initially, when I spoke with them, I I had them prepare a remediation team that I think was going to fly in from New Jersey. And I would have met them there with maybe three or four people from L.A. and go through everything and just help them identify what was damaged. You know, so there were there were uh, uh, there were attempts made to structure this thing so that it made sense. But when those things didn't work, I, I just said, well, the, the very least I can do is suggest that they at least go the right route, because to actually fix the vaults at Paisley would have been too much because the, the situation was that they didn't know how much debt he was in. They, and they, all you're doing is adding debt on top of debt. And so to, to, to fix the vaults up so that they would acclimatize properly and they do it, you have to take everything out, air them out, put new HVACs in, do a lot that still wouldn't get you what it's getting over here, which is proper, treatment so you know it's it's one of those things but again i say it on your show and i was very specific about it and i'd let you guys know later on i did it on purpose but i did it for a reason because i know that people listen to the broadcast and i know that people try to figure out the best moves to do even without engaging me so i just said okay let me just serve this up on a platter see if it goes in that direction because because I can't sit there and go, well, I'll wait till they call me and then I'll lead it to the promised land. I, I didn't want no parts of that. <laughs> you know, I mean, if somebody wants to call me and, and we can do something now, I, I don't have a problem with it. But sometimes you have to understand how the, the larger long-term aspects of this game called entertainment is played. And, yeah. and you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a ground getter, you know, I get in there and I run the ball. I don't, sit up there in the stands and then wait till three seconds left in the game and go run in the mud puddle talking about, didn't we kick their ass? You know, <laughs> I'm on the field. Gotcha. So I, I'm, I'm looking at everybody else and seeing how they're, how they're positioning themselves and what goes on. And that's part of what you have to do in this game. Even when you're part of a legacy a situation like this, you can be of influence and sometimes that's what's necessary. It's better for me to be of influence than me to get in there and try and shout it out with all these knuckleheads in the first two, three years. I, I mean, mean that's, that's, yeah, <laughs> that's what I was doing like yeah. before, years yeah. ago, over a decade to where I didn't care <laughs> as long as the idea got to him and it would be, you know, a couple million dollars were being made. I didn't care as long as the end the end result was the same. So you're not putting ego involved in it. You did it because you knew that they were paying attention and you wanted it to get done. And that's exactly yeah. what happened for yeah. sure. And that's and that's and part of it was also me learning and understanding the 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 way in which the mm. Prince community and the people who were onlookers, I'll call them. Right using the different situations, yours and other people's, to gain market share and get an understanding as to what they should do. Because they really didn't have a clue. A lot of the 
the first group of people making, you know, decisions didn't have a clue in the hell what was going on. And and uh, let alone about music, but uh, especially about legacy and, and any, anything else. They just weren't playing in that lane. So it's, it was up to a lot of us to steer that. You know, that's one reason why PR and alumni got up so fast is because everybody who's on the board held a responsible position for quite a long time doing what needed to be done for him directly. Right. So it was nothing for us to call one another. We didn't have to have no meetings. We just call one another. Yeah, just want to do this, want to do this, want to do this. And within a couple of weeks, it was done and we were on the road doing what we do, you know, and and so it was cool. Um, but sometimes things work like that. And I think that's the beauty of, of the associations that Prince uh, kind of caused because of him. I know you. I know a couple of other people who are key people who if I call them, we, we have a conversation. We can move mountains, you know. It, it may not look like it, but it's very possible, you know. And um, so I, I just think it's it's part of the magic that is untouchable about the situation. And we have to keep some of that because um, it's not all about everybody who you currently see. These people who are there right now will move on, right? They'll move on. Somebody new will come in. Somebody old will come in. And you never know. They might get a couple of us to answer questions and be an advisor or whatever. And that'd be great too, but it will change into what it needs to change into. Oh, I just don't want to see it ever go away. That's yeah. my, that's my desire in my lifetime. Now we have this, Dan, I'm, and I'm going to rephrase the question a little bit. I'm going to answer it, but I'm going to rephrase it because how important is Sony and Warner brothers working together in sync important? Why does Warner brothers continue to have rights to some non-contract albums? Well, the main reason is is the Sony deal that they had. First, it was signed to Universal, but they didn't read the fine print that some of that catalog still belonged to Warner Brothers and for longer periods of time. Sony was getting in their deal, I believe that was signed in uh, 2018. Sony was getting 95 on, and then starting in 2021, they were going to start getting stuff slowly back. Now, aside from that, that would mean like the Prince album, Dirty Mind, et cetera, one by one yeah. down the line, except for Purple Rain, Parade, Batman, and Graffiti Bridge. And those results are different for North America. So just going to answer that and how important, of course, is them working together. What we're seeing is, though, Sony only before this was putting out albums back in print, whether it was 3121 or Musicology or the Rainbow Children. This is the first project, the Welcome to America project, that they did themselves, and their promotion has been stellar on it compared to other things. But I do believe them working together. Look, there can always be room for improvement. Yeah. But I do believe that, of course, them working together is important. But Sony, I'm sure, is waiting for stuff to be turned over to them so they can have their shot at it. But, of course, them working together is important that's why right now you have people that are in the vault that are doing it for warner brothers and for sony it isn't like two separate teams although maybe that wouldn't be such a bad idea i i don't i don't know what the condition of the the vault teams are what their allegiance is to i do know that the current people in there are trying to tell the story and they're trying to do some work I do know that Sony Legacy, who I work with with the Miles Davis estate, 
they're perfectly capable of sustaining this conversation for quite some time. And their publicity is really good. They, they really do a good job at what they do. So I, I think that the, the cool thing to do, if, if they were really smart, they'd figure out a way to share the assets and let Sony Legacy step in and do what Sony, Sony Legacy uh, does and, and um, give them a shot. Because I think the structured way in which Warner Brothers always takes it and deals with it is just that's traditionally them. And that eventually will change because it's a different it's a different time in music. It's a different time in music. And you've got to be right. dedicated to the sustainability of great music. And I think Stony Stony Legacy is a little bit more thick and committed in that area. You know, right. not to say Warner Brothers isn't. I'm just saying Sony Legacy has established that as their muscle. And that's what they're very good at. And so let them do what they're very good at. Let them tell the story. And, and I saw this coming even before Sony got it and Universal had it, whatever. I saw it coming because the problem is you can't have the same people telling the story all the time. If you have a bunch of people in the vault and they all are committed to Warner Brothers and they're just Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers, the only thing they're going to talk is Warner Brothers stuff then the only thing you're going to have is this constant rehashing of these same tracks over and over and over and over again in an effort to do what? Get these people a best packaging nomination or a best packaging Grammy or, you know, it's like, it's the same shit, you know? Right. And he had such a large body of work. And that's the inviting thing about Welcome to America. It presents another page turning. And even though, you know, for whatever reason, it didn't get out during his lifetime. The fact that it's out now gives people another perspective, another view of his music. And I think that's a great thing. You know, um, it, it's, it's just, I think there's enough of him so that if Sony is at bat, let them bat at the full, at the full set of uh, balls that's on the table. Don't, don't sit there and cherry pick and hold up purple rain. It's just the same way. I didn't like when they, when they, um, took uh, the previous work and they named it Piano and a Microphone. Right? I thought that was such a shit move because here goes what we know was the name of his last concert. And now we're gonna fuck with everybody's head and actually try and sell records based on calling something something that it's not. Or we're trying to use up that name or try and draw a connection. I don't know what it was, but there was such a weird move and it just didn't feel right. But that's what happens when people try and tell their alternative story. You know? They try and force feed you these lines and force feed you this. Oh, stand right here. Do this. And he wasn't about that either. You know? Right. We all know how I felt about that and it yeah. kind of <laughs> messed me up. But Look, they're doing they're doing better. I wasn't I wasn't a fan of that release. I say it, but they've they've done yeah. a lot. Is that, yeah. that's all I'm gonna say on it because it got I, me in trouble being I critical. Nobody wants but, to say. Right. <laughs> I, and I'm look if he allowed this is this is how I say it. I don't use it as an excuse. If he allowed me to be critical and be yeah. rewarded for being critical, and he didn't go, Jay, F you or Funkenberry, get out, get out, get out <laughs> the room, Kirk. Kirk, take him back to his hotel or, or Josh or whoever. 
if he allowed me to be critical, we're yeah. going to, and I'm going to bring this up and this is going to fall into Kathy's question. She goes, thing is there are fans that are angry that his music is being released because they don't think he would release it. They won't buy or listen to the new music. Look, number one, in an interview, you know, of course, it was Barbara Walters who brought up the vault question again that Brian Gumpel brought up, that Matt Lauer brought up, that Oprah brought up. But Prince said, oh, yeah, everything that's in the vault is going to be released. It won't be by me. But Prince and, and I would have conversations about the vault more so from 2013 on talking about 1999 or talking about other things. So it was already in his mind about certain tracks that were for, for albums not being released or how we felt about it at that time i'm just curious the people that are the fans that are angry about the music being released because they wouldn't they don't think you release it are these the same people that were spending hundreds of dollars in bootlegs on the night in the 90s <laughs> okay. that's a good that's question right. <laughs> that might be but true <laughs> he said it himself that it will be released I do feel when it comes to more explicit stuff for the videos that we can put out a thing about his beliefs, but we're gonna keep it the same for artistic integrity. So maybe we can get past this whole cancel culture or some things that are um, a little bit more taboo now that may not have been in 1983, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm like I said, I, I vacillate back and forth because I know what an important figure he is, he was and is to music. So I have to look at everything that comes out being for the good, but I understand how much of it is conflicting, conflicting dialogue at the very least. Because we have to support these different storylines that are being proposed by these different groups of people who call themselves the current expert, right? Right. And that's and that's and that's that in itself is very hurtful because these adventures that we go on since his death validate these careers of these people and and it's not that they're 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 I'm I'm trying to figure out the best way to say this not that they're not talented it's just that you have to you have to do everything with moderation you know if I work with somebody, I I am working with them. I am not their magic. Any artist I've worked for could do certainly do what they do without me. But for the time period that we did something together, it was a collective, and I was focused on delivering what they wanted, and that's part of the exchange that happens and is necessary. And it's necessary in, in several ways, and, and it makes you understand that no one really does things on their own, but it's really how committed your team members are and what goes on. And so it does end up being important when you have a concentrated group of people or individuals that's, you know, knocking it out for you, setting it up so you just walk in and lay them down. Right. It, it matters. It matters. And... You know, I, that that's the point at which I, I kind of, in my as I get older, I kind of lose my patience, I guess it would be, for um, sitting around validating other people's careers who 
they wouldn't have a career if they wouldn't have stepped on the scene after his passing. Right. You know, and that's and that's not being mean. That's being very factual. Uh, you can't. You know, it's not. You can't do that. You can't. You know. Right. That's that's a whole nother career. <laughs> but it doesn't make you at the at the very least an expert. You know, it makes you somebody who walked on after everything's up, and then you framed the framed up some shit that you wanted to say, you know. But, uh, now, you know, and primary way we'll have to deal with this. They're not, this person isn't bringing up the question, what I'm talking about now, not what you're talking about, but mm. that they're saying, and I don't believe this. And I, I was just, I was just at Paisley Park this pre, this past weekend. But someone goes, the new fans are not going to track out the Paisley, Spark, Paisley Park or spend hundreds of dollars on releases. We should be very much be marketed to we have a word with Prince. Not many can say they've had the experience. So of course, we want to have the fans involved. But I will say this, because um, the tour that I went on on Friday, it seemed like there was a lot of faces that I didn't know. And I was trying to pay attention to other tours that were mm -hmm. going on at the same time. There was one person that goes, oh, you look very familiar. Where do I know you from? Like, oh, like celebrations. You know, mm -hmm. they, but the, the faces were new. And of course, and just, I'm going to bring this this on as well. Went to a Prince and Michael Jackson event maybe about a month or two ago. And there were so many Prince shirts. And it was of him with his last look with the Afro. Mm -hmm. But they were all mostly bootleg shirts. I don't know if they were Etsy shirts or whatever. But there's there's the demand for it. And what I was seeing at Paisley, even when they're on the tours, I'm like, man, they're wearing these bootleg shirts. That's not an official shirt. But going into it is I feel that new fans are making the trek. But yes, the older fans need to be marketed to, but at the same yeah. time, we need to bring in a new audience. And I don't think it's that hard. Um, I Like Stephen Hill was talking about, oh, the Prince estate will never make more than Michael Jackson estate. When Stephen and Hill and I had that conversation, all I kept thinking in my head when he was talking was challenge accepted. Yeah. And that's yeah. how I feel about Paisley Park and getting new fans in, but also trying to keep the old fans. We don't want them to go. We want the new fans, old fans, you can go away. No, we want both of them. As Prince yeah. would say the shows, next time someone old brings someone new. Because that's the way to continue the legacy yeah. is you do yeah. it and bring the newer people in. Go ahead, Dave. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And I think that I never really try and compare – Prince and Michael Jackson, not just just because they're two entirely different kinds of artists, you know. Uh, Prince was an inside-out guy. Michael was an outside-in, and what that means is that Prince's talent was inside of him, and then he cast it out, and everybody around him was affected by it, and they exchanged something once he emoted his gift. Michael has the talent, but his albums, his content was all a, consor a consortium of individuals who were just as talented contributing. He had a way of emoting his ideas, but they had to be translated into music. It wasn't, you know, he could get Greg filling games up there, but then sit up there and go goo 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 ga 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 and make sounds and do beats with his mouth. And eventually that would come out by way of all the musicians you see on the record as the songs that came out. He would emote his ideas. So it's two, 
I, I never like to compare them because they just just are two entirely different sets of skills. Yes, they're both talented individuals, and I've worked with both of them. But I just think Prince had had a little bit of a tactical advantage because he was uh, he was in in essence because he had his black man thing down. He understood who he was at all times. And he understood the largeness of it and the smallness of it. He understood how to operate around his people and away from his people. And he understood the the business that he was in for the business that it was. He didn't necessarily like all the aspects, but he really understood it. And then towards the end, he really learned how to dismantle it. He spent a lot of time, people don't realize, not only on the music, but figuring out how to dismantle the industry, figuring out how to do deals like he did for the 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 London newspaper, where the album comes in, just figuring out that and having it so that it couldn't be counted against him, but they would forever change the rules after he did that. He got such a kick out of that because. He outthought the record business, and he would constantly be on this thing to to really the songs. It was secondary. Seems sometimes do his tactics on how to really get them where they think they got him. You know, oh, I'm gonna do this. You know, and and again, I think he, he was so clever because live performance was his home run. He could do no wrong. I think when he wrapped the delivery of his content in the live performance, it, it was such a strong stick. Wouldn't anybody go against it? So they just had to let it go. But but once it, he did it, 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 man, he just unleashed such a thing because he showed you can actually outthink these fools, you know, who think that they're running this game and they're not, you know. For sure. On so many things I see people like they regret that they wish that they, you know, had a relationship with Prince Music Live. Look, mm -hmm. I wish I could tell people, stop reading these interviews from the eighties, stop reading these interviews from the nineties. Or if you are, please don't quote from that. Cause yeah. Prince was in 85 on Monday was different than what he was <laughs> on Friday, let alone nineties Prince. Yeah. Prince. Later in life, you want to know Prince? Listen to the music. Don't yeah. look at interviews. Like like he said to Larry King in that interview, like he didn't give a damn who Michael Jordan was married with, married to, his other problems. All he cared about was that relationship with the basketball. So all we should be really caring about when he was here and these other things was about his relationship with the microphone, his relationship with the guitar and so many other things. Dave's still there, I'm sure. You're just working yeah. on the web. I, I had to switch to, uh, a phone a phone call. I got. I just had to no tell problem. them I'm going to. You're like, hey, leave me alone. We're doing this right now. It's important. <laughs> but when people bring up questions like NFT and other stuff, yes, I believe that Primary Wave will be doing whatever they can to make prints more profitable. So those those things are going to happen. I'm not going to have Dave. Dave answer that question only in the specifics of whatever is going to be profitable for the estate for Prince they're going to do. But, and I want to get Dave back before, before this with video, 
talk about the Whitney Houston thing that I know some people are concerned about. So Dave, oh, here we go. <laughs> like we're yeah. So like I do believe they'll do NFT, they'll do other stuff, but yeah. here it is. They're doing a Whitney Houston hologram. Here's the thing is though, they're acting on behalf of Whitney's estate. That's something that Whitney's estate wants to do. Prince's estate and them have made it clear, and we know for a fact that Prince has talked about holograms and how he wasn't cool with it. So just because yep. they're doing it for Whitney, Whitney only had seven albums. No disrespect, but there's more to work with with Prince than there is with Whitney. So people that are worried, and this is me doing it, make an assumption, but I don't think Primary Wave is going to go down that road. And if they do, we're just going to have to call them out on it. But just just because one estate is doing it doesn't mean they're going to make the other estate do it, right? Yeah, no, no, not at all. I mean, and, and I got to tell you, and I can tell people this now, I was offered a lot of money to bring that idea in front of Prince. And I refuse. Because... Right. It, it it just it just and that they were going to pay me just to bring the idea up in front of them and i didn't want to do it i would just it's unnecessary to have that discussion because he did it, it was so anti to who he was and what he believed in he didn't that that that's that's not happening and and i can see why whitney's estate is doing it yeah because again they're trying to position the asset so that it is still a, a, a asset that can bring something in. Uh, is there enough there? We'll see when it opens. I'm not going to see it, but we'll see when it opens because it's, you know, it's, it's going to be something new, but you have to captivate people uh, with the show in Vegas. Unfortunately, you're only contractually uh, 70 minutes is your thing. Cause they want people back in the casinos. So it's not that hard to exercise. But I just think that, you know, we still got a little ways to go on hologram. It's not going to be a thing that works for everybody. Prince was so dynamic in life. You get more out of showing a video. I would much rather see uh, a live concert footage mixed in Atmos than I would see to see a hologram with for Prince. Sure. For sure. You know, just yeah. Just because that's done doesn't mean the other thing is going to be done. That's how I look at no. it. So people don't have to worry about that. And the Atmos yeah. sound, by the way, Chris James did an absolutely amazing job on that. I saw it at Paisley. They didn't have any Atmos sound. But the next day, someone's private theater mm -hmm. had it. Amazing. Just absolutely yeah. knocked it out of the park. And this is why when I bring when I bring up people that I want to be involved, and I'm not trying yeah. to be addicted to stuff but i want chris james involved i want you involved i want morris hayes involved because you guys were there at different aspects and of course i would like to be involved with that but that's that's other yeah. stuff there's other people i feel there's room for us all and i'm being very diplomatic with this but i want no, those there things is. and i'm glad that chris james is involved because he was one of the last engineers that prince worked with in he knew what mm -hmm. Prince wanted to sound like, whether it was live or in the studio. And that's why I feel it was so amazing. You know, albeit yeah. you can't really mess up Prince footage, but they did no. an amazing job. No. 
which is not easy. Not an easy experience to to mix. And I I really applaud the fact that Chris James is 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 doing what he's doing because he's one of the last true uh, voices. You know, just uh, people who was was there with him on the one-on-one and you've, you know, I understand where he's coming from cause I've been there and I used to have long phone conversations with him when he first got started there, just trying to talk him through some stuff over the phone. So it's, you know, it's, it's just good to see. And I think there's a space there for all of us cause we all have something relevant to bring to the, the party technology wise. I think that's the other place we have to look to. The technology of the future is going to offer up ways in which we can take some of these things and really create an experience that's even surpasses where we're at now. And that's some of the stuff that I work on now with other artists and other companies. So I don't foresee, uh, you know, I don't just look at everything in a stereo record scenario. I don't look at it in a, in a fixed position. I look at it as this content can be taken and it can be used several different ways. And, and with the technology and all the things that are coming about, we're going to see and hear some amazing things and it'll be a, giving us a good way to revisit Prince and his live concerts. He's blessed us with so much live concert footage that there is more than enough for us to mess with, to come up with some great mixes, you know, and I just feel there's going to be there's going to be changes in the industry. Yeah. And yeah, what's old is new again. The vinyl resurgence. I was getting clowned in 2018 when I said that vinyl is going to overtake stuff, and they have over the years. And I believe mm-hmm. this. And because streaming streaming is where it, where it's at right now. People are like, oh, they need to bring back the music club. They need to do this. They need to do that. It's not profitable because people are like oh i'll pay a hundred dollars for it that's you but there's going to be 500 people that don't want to do it and then the younger audience they grew up where they didn't pay for music although they're having an infatuation with vinyl and i will i won't be surprised if it's jack white that does this first but i mm-hmm. bet you in the next three years there's going to be a release put out by an artist of jack white stature or someone else even more popular that it's only going to be released on vinyl only, and it's not going to be on streaming oh, yeah. services. We're going to have to buy the physical copies. Go ahead. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. I think I think Jack White in particular has spawned on more people looking at vinyl as an option of delivery. But I think you're very right about that, and I think everything old does get revisited a lot. Right. You know. <laughs> One of the coolest things I saw over the weekend outside of Paisley Park was uh, being at the Mall of America on Sunday and actually Mm -hmm. seeing a line, seeing a line outside the bookstore waiting for them to open. Wow. Right? Okay. That was impressive because I would like to see print media. Look, you can have this. It's for convenience, but I like (laughs) I like reading books or just having yeah, this it can be the second I, option. I write books and that's one of the things that had me um, I'm writing I'm writing a book now and one of the things that had me holding back from completing the book was the fact that I wasn't so sure that people read books anymore. And and I had written four books before and so I was like, hmm, if I write another book, are, do people really going to read this and you know 
right. then I was still bumping the people who read my other books. And I'm like, okay, reading is making its way back. You know, books are making its way back. Right. <clears throat> and Sal is pointing out the Smashing Pumpkins already releasing live shows on vinyl only. See, what I'm talking about is yep. Jack White or whatever, and it'll be brand new material. Mm -hmm. That's how it'll be. And then someone's talking about they just leased an SUV and no CD player, right? CDs aren't where it's at right now, but I'll be honest. My car didn't come with a player, a car I had a few years ago. So I bought the, um, the, the stereo for it to have the CD player in it just in case, you know, I want to have mm -hmm. some. And my last car accident in late 2019, when um, I got this car, I put that, I made sure to take that stereo out and put it into this car so I can have the option for the CD player. But yes, CD player. Cars, yeah. cars aren't having anymore when everything is being streamed, but that leads to my thing of a music club right now, as much as people want it, it's not gonna be as profitable as it should be and be where it's at. And again, having it be where it's a fee, where it's a hundred dollars, there's gonna be some people that pay for it. But as we saw with Welcome to America and we see it with other things, that people before something comes out, they can't wait to put it online for 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 free for people to have. So who's going to yeah. say? And they don't have the programs anymore, the D DCMA, to kind of block stuff. So who's to say that you buy something off this new music club and then it doesn't end up online for free because there's some fan that goes, "F it, I paid for it. I can do whatever the hell I want with it." Yeah, I think we're always going to have to contend with that as a possibility and that's and that's you know the music club thing i think that was the beauty behind that was that you felt it was directly from him you felt that there was contact directly from him and i think that's why it was so successful out of the gate he was one of the first ones doing it but i think yeah. the ability to clap back directly to the person creating what you're buying you know he he was the first one to undertake uh, as much as we don't want to acknowledge it, an analytic, right? He was creating his own analytics by giving a way for his audience to contact him directly. Right. No artist. You know. And look, he was here while doing that. And what was the bonus of the music club? Oh, you're going to get the best seats at the concert. Yeah. And that yeah. You, you're going to get to the after show. And then, oh, yeah. let's add in sound checks. You don't have that bonus anymore. Let me tell you, when the music club first came out, and it was like the second or third month, and we went to the Bay Area because at that time, he wasn't messing with LA. He was pissed, the Hollywood mm -hmm. Bowl, so many other things. So we went to the Bay Area, and we got that sound check, and he did a Q&A there. And then we got the after show for free for a $100 membership by that second month. So the rest of the year for me was a bonus, but there's other people in other countries that weren't getting what we got. So now you don't have that bonus of stuff of it. And then look, the things that he would do, and this is why like I liked it and I know he borrowed ideas from me, but hopefully with Primary Wave, they're gonna be thinking artistically from musicology of putting a CD with every dang ticket. So they're getting the new material whether they want it or yeah. not. They're it. And then the deal for planet earth, the deal for 2010 with the newspapers, although he was trying to visit that in the nineties with guitar world and giving them the undertaker 
a CD, but then Warner's found out about that and they couldn't put it out. But he kept trying different things. And that's where I think we're at right now is that, yes, what's old is new again, but you have to look for different ideas. Well, I think that what what you saw him do was the first, uh, what I'll call it an invisible attempt at co-branding because he was taking the established brand of the newspaper, wrapping his music in the newspaper, taking the established brand of the ticket and, and putting his music with the ticket. And, and I think it was a, something that before they could say, oh, wow, that's clever. They didn't want to give him full credit for, no, he's just, he's just saddled up a brand and rode music around your track. Right. You don't even make music. And he just wrote music around all your followers and all your newspapers. And that that's what really, when you cut through it and you look at, that's why I say he, he strategically thought about how he was perceived at all times. And so it, it, there were no little moves he made. Everything he did was for a reason, you know. Now let's get into some stuff. We're going to talk about, I see people bringing up Londell and other things. What I want to talk about is, <laughs> and you know, you know me, Dave, we, we've been to the times where spilling tea, when it, we were fashionable with it before it was fashionable. Yeah. So I'm not trying to spill any tea. I'm not trying to do stuff, but I'm sure as I'm sure that you saw what I saw when that wall street journal article came out. And this was before, um, the other, the, the last share was sold for 100%. That this obviously interview took place before that. And it was a great article. But then towards the bottom, when it started getting into who has control, and Troy Carter was kind of now, it seems, out of pocket. But you saw Troy's comments about primary wave in a sense that they're not going to have a seat at the table. But now that's kind of like changed. Uh, yeah. Well, what, are you, what are your thoughts on that? Because I don't want to get into it. I don't like you get into it. Not Troy Carter's call at the end of the day. Uh -huh. Who does or does not have a seat at the table? Nor is it his call. Uh, he wasn't part of the primary wave deal. He is just an advisor mm -hmm. to Club America, and so right. in that role and capacity as advisor. He, he can say what he feels, but he does, he carries no real weight because he is taking money from the asset. He costs, he, he is positioned in this thing to be reimbursed. He ain't working for free. Right. So he's positioned to make money on this thing. And, and his job is to make decisions that are in the best interest or to lead them to things that are in the best interest of the asset and, and of the right. estate. And so the longer it takes for Comerica to get shit together, the longer it takes for the estate to be secured and on their own feet, I have less and less confidence in the expert. I really have less confidence in the expert when they're slinging poo all over the ring, but yet, you know, if they haven't done strategically what they need to do in order to put this thing in a better position every year since they've been there. And so that's the thing, you, you know, you can't just call foul on somebody because of, well, we're not going to do this, you know? And like I said, you need to look at the, when you, when you read press releases and you read things that people write, um, 
everybody's playing a word game. Londell McMillan plays a word game, you know, uh, when he makes a statement to, oh, well, no matter what, we're going to fight to preserve the, the Prince legacy, right? And, right. and then uh, we just want to bring the purple back, you know, and they still have to work with primary wave because primary wave is now at the table. Bottom line, primary wave is not primary wave is not anybody but a uh, strategic music opportunist. Okay, and they are they they are in the business to make money and and increase market share. So they have actually done sounder business and brought a return to some of the relatives of Prince so much so that they said, we don't want to wait anymore. We want to sign off over here. Y'all can play the waiting game. And, and so bottom line is that that's the way it is. So everybody does that. I think, you know, it's really interesting, though. And, and I will just, I'm just going to speak about Londell and, and uh, what's the other guy's name? Uh, Spicer. Uh, the, no, no, the, 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 the kid, the, the kid, exec, the young, young black exec. Uh, Troy Carter. Oh, okay. I'll just speak about them in particular because these are men of color and these are men of color in the music business. These are power brokers in the music business, right? Right. Um, It's very uh, interesting to watch their track record in this situation. That's not only for Troy Carter. That's the for for Londell McMillan as well, you know, and and so coming in and going out and, you know, yes, he represents some of the uh, heirs right now, and that's cool. But the bottom line is that you know he's played a role in this thing through several different lifetimes, right. and it you know, um, same thing with Troy Carter. Troy Carter represents the young music business mind. It doesn't necessarily mean it's it's sound. It means it's young music music business mind. So he's trying to open them up to as many things as possible that he can put his suggestive fingers on. Um, right. It could probably be done with him, without him, and with somebody else just as well. But these guys represent men of color who are uh, doing their best to preserve the legacy in their own way. But again, they are business people and they are doing it for a profit and for money. So, so, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just, you have to examine everybody at the game board and what they're there for and how well they're pulling it off. How long does it take? Could they, you know, could they have done it another way? Yeah, they could have done it another way, but none of these guys runs anything. They, they position themselves around a situation that's much larger and it's run by Comerica and it, and it's run by the court. And as soon as Comerica and the court step away, it's going to be then on who has structured the best situation, which is why you have people trying to vilify uh, primary way in you, why you have people even vilifying Comerica. You know, when, when Comerica first got it, they were being extremely vilified and I used to go like, wow, this is amazing because if people did their research and they find out Comerica handles most of the asset management of large estates anyway. So this is something they're very familiar with. But they were taking a black eye because they had a certain number of days 
to look at all the moves that the original bank did, which was a local bank. And they had to analyze and accept either either reject or accept everything and then proceed with getting on track with getting Prince's estate together. Right. Because you, you once you once you get in that role where you're assigned this, now it's a different thing. Now you've got to either green light everything and say, well, that last two moves you did really had questions and we we can't really stand behind that or, or we're just going to let that slide and we'll correct it on the other side. That's where you got to be. And you only have a certain number of days when you're the institution that it gets transferred to. So there was a lot of moves that the very first bank made that were just so out of line. Right. And 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 that's part of the story, too. Whether or not people want to talk about it doesn't mean anything. But there were people in bed over there uh, uh, figuratively um, at the local bank who were who were chatting it up with the attorneys for all the different representatives. And then when the family broke down and, and each of the members of the family had gone out and gotten their own separate entertainment lawyers, that didn't help anything. You know, they didn't get one estate lawyer. They got everybody got a sports and entertainment lawyer and was some kind of high profile, whoever was going to do what to try and pull down something. But none of them had the familiarity with the arena that they were in to say, hey, we all need to work together and make this thing come about. Let's get one estate lawyer and let's all figure out what our role is, you know. And that's the way it's done in commerce settings. Because there are situations that aren't like that go real smooth. And Comerica felt that way too about different things. Now, I do feel that Primary Wave and Londell and the heirs that are left, they can all work together and stuff because there isn't there isn't as many cooks in the kitchen or hands in the cookie jar, so to speak. They're going to have to work <coughs> together, and I don't think yeah. it's going to be as problematic. And you know, people can feel certain ways about certain people, but. The fact of the matter is, is going forward, these are the people that are going to be involved and uh, we're all mm-hmm. going to have to work together to make it happen, for sure. That's right. That's right. That's, right. It's, 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 that's exactly it. I mean, it, you know, and, and whether or not any of the other others of us get involved, you know, that'd be great if we do. We try and do our best. But I just think it's it's interesting to watch and notate along the way. Because we'll, we'll, we're having this conversation, we're, we're at year five, so year six, year seven, and you know, whenever we have this conversation to revisit these issues again, we hope that it's a little bit more solidly in, you know, set up down the line. Uh, you know, I would love to see some solid music education things done, uh, because that was part of the intention when we were there, is to interact and, and teach music the way he wanted music taught and and interactively get into where creativity was going to. And I think that um, I've come to find it in other places around. And so I get involved in those places and it's helpful. It lets me let loose that energy and the ideas that we talked about because I see his influence in other places, you know, but you have to visit to look out for them. I think that's the other thing for, for everybody who did have contact with him and it affected you, you have to get out and you have to experience 
the new creatives in the world, the new people making music, the new people making art, and figure out what's going on, what they're trying to say, and if there's any way you can impact them with just suggestions or or just, you know, with experience and what it's taught you, that's our role too, you know. For sure. Someone had this question, although this isn't really exactly primary wave. Has Iron Mountain digitalized all the concerts? Seems like that would be quicker than studio recordings or is digitalizing as a project a project basis. I also feel what plays into that is stuff that falls under Warners and stuff that falls under Sony. But I'll I'll turn it over to you on that. Well, digi digitizing is what they're talking about. And as far as digitizing it, um, the concerts, uh, I'll just give you an example. Uh, musicology every concert was multi-camera videotape i mean Aptine had a team out there and they had a little edit station they had a whole little city that they put together every concert and we would get back dvds from every concert of that show so that was a yeah. daily thing that was going on so that in fact was getting digitized it was getting final release you know it was getting cut and edited as it happened and that was very quick because these are these things are ready to show and they're they're very good quality um so are they involved in that i think the concerts bring on another aspect i would think that they're probably looking at them i think with the concerts it's kind of hard because he left so much material that when you look at entire seasons of concert, you think you've got one city, it's a good show, and you're going to have a bunch of shows and a bunch of cities to watch because he was in a lot of places. And right. so you have to then start to look at the quality. And you have to look look and listen and break it down. Then you have to look at the material he was doing and, okay, what are we going to call this? I think uh, that's one of the areas where somebody like a primary wave comes in handy because they can look that and they can turn that into a film and TV project and they can go down that lane and take those and, and put them in order, pick the best of the best and, and, and take some from everything and put together one massive concert footage. Uh, I think it's, you know, it's possible, but I don't think they've gotten to it yet. I think they're still trying to tell the story, uh, uh, unreveal some of the tapes, identify what they have and tell a different story because the video stuff is entirely different footage. You've got a lot of video footage there and you've got a lot of audio footage and there's, there's big gaps in it too, you know? So there's, there's a lot of early footage that you see and then there's a break because they didn't really have a lot of people at Paisley at some times and it was just making music. So they didn't break out video stuff until the concerts, right? right? And then some of the concerts, it was so dark and the quality was so poor. For that time, though, it was great so they could see the show. But compared to Musicology is really good footage. Um, some of the later concerts, really good footage. Uh, again, that's the advancements in the technology. Right. You know, so you could look at it. I think we saw early video. I was on a panel and we saw early video footage of a Cubby concert and Cubby was there with us. But it was just so grainy and so, eh, you really couldn't get the majesty of what was going on. You know, 
we're so detail oriented now because the images is so sharp and so correct. And Afshin is, is really good at capturing what his team captured. They were really good at that. And they had a really, they had it together. They had it together. It was just a pleasure to, to watch and that whole experience. For sure. And of course, even though you're talking about stuff from back in the day, Coachella was a little too dark. The footage that I was able to yeah. see of it was posted online, unfortunately, because of how Lady was performing and the lighting. But I still would like to see Coachella come out, but it is somewhat dark for sure. Yeah. Um, and as we wrap stuff up, like I want people to feel safe about Primary Wave, about Londell, about the airs and everything that's going to be going forward and that's where we have to be um doing that so that's just that's just how it comes down to yeah they can feel safe i mean you know no one individual is going to stop this thing from moving forward so as much as you know we we have our individual thoughts you and i on all these people and their motives and their methods and their their all their shit uh I, I just think that, you know, in the long run, Prince will win out, but it's up to all of us who really understand to kind of hold tight and keep the truth as our, our main sword that we have to cut through this bullshit with. Because, you know, occasionally we will see some things flare up that we just ain't going for. And so we, we have to be in the clear about that, you know. Right. One of the last questions is we'll wrap up. Do you think his last concerts will be released? I, I think so. Of course, in time, in time, they will be released. Right now, yeah. that's that's yeah. like gold mine. You need that to be a really big, nice payday because as soon as the physical copy is put out, it's going to be everywhere and people are going to be getting it for free. You need to get that payday. But I believe it'll be yeah. out. Yeah, his last concert will be out. I think they, they have to wait some time period and tell the story properly. And one yep. of the reasons is because they already launched another product that was called the same thing, Piano on the Mic. So it's going to have to be called his last show. They're going to have to call it something different in order to build up the pomp and circumstance for what it really was. And they need to take their time and talk to the individuals involved. They need to talk to john gas because he recorded it they need to talk to scotty because he mixed it or whoever you know they need to have crucial conversations with relevant people in the food chain so that they can get everything down not just show a concert they'll go oh, this was his last one no they they need to really take their time with it you know and do it right for sure for sure on that and i just we don't know what the future holds for us we're hoping that um you know, things will progress and, and get even better and more profitable and having mm -hmm. people involved that care, you know, yeah. and that, yes, that did work for him as well. I, I understand that for sure, you know, um, but how, how do you feel just about this going? Because I, I feel it's a positive thing and that's what I want to reassure people with primary yeah. wave and the objectives. Yeah, positive. They're good people. They have really good intention and they're they they got they they don't cheapen the exercise at all they just add a focus to it that in some cases is very helpful to the legacy uh, holding right 
Well, I hope this helped out everyone. So yeah. that's what it comes down to. But yeah. Dave, I want to thank you so much for your time and other cool. things going on. But uh, I appreciate it. We'll talk more about this, I'm sure, later or tomorrow or this weekend. Definitely. Much and love. Have write in if got questions. Anybody who had any questions after write in and just email them to me and Doc knows I'll answer them. Yeah. So there's been stuff. I feel that we got through everything that would have been related, whether it was on Instagram or Twitter on the Facebook fan page. So for yeah. sure. All right. We'll get we'll get the email from Londell and Troy Carter tomorrow. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I'm playing. All right, Dave. Good seeing you, my friend. <laughs> All right, man. I'll talk to you guys. All right. Well, talk soon. All right, everyone. Dave Hampton. It's always great to have Dave on and to discuss these things that are going on. Hopefully, um, you guys had everything taken care of or asked that you wanted to ask. Uh, we were like 30 minutes behind on stuff, the questions you guys were asking. I still wish that they would have like, you know, where I see a good question, I can kind of like put it to the side instead of just having to hold it and do other things, you know, but, and I appreciate you guys that were able to talk with each other and kind of answer some of the questions that people had for sure on it looking back on things. So, yeah. All right. Just trying to see if there's any anything last. Like, look, we all care about Prince. We worked with him and for him on different aspects. So we can go into that for sure. And you know, you get what you pay for. All right. I'll just put down things. Thanks, it was a birthday, but we can get into that another time. Um, I'm trying to do a welcome to America week next week was trying to do that this week. Um, but hopefully I'll be able to surprise you guys with what we're going to have for next week. I'm not going to go into who we're going to have on yet, but um, hoping for multiple shows uh, to get that in and to do other things and make sure that your questions and the people that are on the album and help with the album and on the live shows get their, uh, you know, their flowers, their accolades, all the other things that go on. It's very important. And we want to make sure that the promotion for Welcome to America doesn't stop just because the album is out. You feel me on that? So. Yep. And we're all trying to protect his legacy. You guys, the fans, and us that um, worked with him and do it and hope to do stuff in the future um, for all of us to get on with it. Um, I appreciate you guys. I thank you guys. Without you guys, there is no me. I thank Prince as well for the exact same thing. So... I look forward to seeing you guys very soon. And next week should be a fun week. And we have other things going on. Um, I'm doing all right. A little bit warm. 
that's all uh, that's expected. It's not going to be cooling down anytime soon. So, yeah, I'm glad. I hope that this was enough to explain things, break it down, do all this stuff, and want to bring Dave on. You know, I feel um, the same way about a lot of things, but it's like we just want to go on and instead of me on my show it coming off like, oh, I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. You want someone on the outside that did stuff too, but it isn't just their show. So doing it. All right. But um, we're all trying to do what we feel would be best for Prince's legacy. And we got to look forward. And that's what it comes down to. And uh, here's hoping that um, we continue to look forward and uh, the path uh, that I'll hopefully be back on that path. But that's it. Let's get out. And um, much love, you guys. Thank you again for subscribing on YouTube, Facebook Live, checking us out, Spotify, Apple Music, all the other places, letting people know about us. And uh, hopefully, you know, let people know if they have any questions about Primary Wave. Send them a link to the show. All right. I appreciate you guys so much. Much love. I'll be seeing you guys soon. Uh, keep it funky. And thank you, Prince. Thank you guys as well. Until next time.